Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the book of Exodus. Enjoy the message. Okay, awesome. If you have a Bible, you can take it out to Exodus chapter 35. This morning, we are going to be covering... um, in detail, chapter 35, but actually chapter 35 starts a long exposition that takes us all the way through to the end of chapter 39, which is why this is the second last sermon in our Exodus series. So we've only got one more to go, chapter 40, which we'll be covering next Sunday. So this morning we are covering quite a large section, but I'm going to be focusing on chapter 35. The reason you feel, if you read chapters 35 to 39 in the book of Exodus, You're going to feel like, hey, I've covered this ground before. It feels like familiar territory. And the reason for that is it is familiar. It is a repetition of what you read in chapter 25 through to chapter 30. And what we saw in chapters 25 to 30 was all about the construction and the materials required for the building of the tabernacle. Remember the tent, the tent of meeting, the meeting place where God would dwell with his people? Well, that detail is repeated again now in chapters 35. But here's the difference. The difference is all the details are given in reverse order. And the structure of the book actually says a lot about what's happening in the narrative. Because it's reversed, it is a message in and of itself. It is a message that the whole situation has been a reversal. That God was going to pour out judgment upon these Israelites who had worshipped the golden calf. But God has been true to himself. He's been faithful to his character. Remember, he is a God of grace and mercy, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so here we have a reversal. God has been faithful and gracious. And so what we encounter here in chapter 35 is an enthusiastic congregation. We've got an eager congregation who have been given a second chance. And we even pointed this out last week that actually this is not just the second, it's the third, fourth, fifth, umpteenth time that God has given them another go. What's interesting is if you study chapter 31 and chapter 35 is that The last subject dealt with in chapter 31 is now the first subject in chapter 35, the Sabbath. 31 ends with talking about the Sabbath. 35 begins talking about the Sabbath. The middle part is also exactly the same. It's all about the materials required for the tabernacle. And then the ending point is the starting point in chapter 31. It's about the priests or the builders actually being filled with the Spirit. And so the structure is a message in and of itself. It is a full reversal of God's transforming grace. God's grace has taken them back again, back to the beginning, back to the starting goal. Remember the starting goal? God wants to dwell with his people. God wants to be in the midst of his people. A few weeks ago, Jade spoke about J.R.R. Tolkien and his great epic, The Lord of the Rings. So I thought I'd jump in and add my own illustration. But do you remember at the end of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, how does it end? She's not even here to hear it. Yes, where to? Yes. 
to the Shire, back to the Shire. This huge epic doesn't end in a battle. It's okay. (laughs) It doesn't end in the battle. It ends in the Shire, the peaceful, comfortable, glorious Shire. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. And so in this chapter, these last few chapters, in some ways it feels like an anticlimax because we go back to where it was all meant to be, back to the goal, back to the building, back to the shire, back in a sense to the place where we want the glory of God to dwell. And here's the theme of the whole book that we've been studying, and that is that the Israelites have been drawn out of Egypt, drawn out by a mighty hand, but that's not all. They want to be drawn in. We don't want to just be drawn out. Salvation is not just being taken out of your sin. It's being brought into the family of God, into fellowship with God. We're not just saved from our sins. We're adopted into the family of God. And so this is the story. And so in these final chapters, it may at first seem like an anticlimax, but really it is climaxing to the ultimate goal, and that is for God's people to be amongst the very presence of God. And so we're going to look at this chapter 35 in a little more detail because it sets up the whole building of the tabernacle. And the first thing we're going to see is the command of Sabbath rest, like I mentioned. So let's read from verse 1 to verse 3. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done. But on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Just ponder that. A day of solemn rest, not just chilling. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. And so as they are taken back to the beginning, back to this glorious task of rebuilding, they are reminded that they are to work for the Lord, but in the Lord's way. In the Lord's way. The task of building the tabernacle. They are here warned. You can build. You can build. Even though it's a glorious task. Even though it's a godly work. You work for six days and on the seventh is a day of rest. You can work for me for six days, but on the seventh day, you gather for worship. You rest and you dedicate the day to the Lord. Notice also that this isn't just for an elite few. Verse 1 reminds us that Moses assembled the whole congregation. Notice that it's called a congregation because this is exactly what it is. The church technically didn't begin in Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, we see the church being formed as the body of Christ because now Christ has ascended, but there's always been a congregation. There's always been an assembly of God's people. The called out ones, the ecclesia, that's the word for church in in the Greek, ecclesia, meaning the called out ones. That's exactly what we find here. Moses assembles the called out ones, the congregation. And it's all of them that hear the word of the Lord. Notice Moses stresses that this isn't his word. Look at verse 1. He says, these are the things the Lord has commanded you. Moses is very clear. Moses has now found his feet in terms of leadership. He's still going to learn some valuable lessons, but he's learned a lot in the process. 
These are the things the Lord has commanded you. In other words, this isn't a suggestion. This, this, this rhythm of life, this, this way God wants you to order your life with, with work and worship, it's not a suggestion, God is saying. It's a commandment. It's not an optional extra. It's not like, hey, when you feel like it, then do it. And if you want to know what we, what we believe as a church on the Sabbath law, well, then go back to the Ten Commandments where we actually spoke in more detail about this. But did you also notice that, that God's not playing games here? Because what's the consequence for not obeying under the Old Covenant? What's the consequence? Death, right? Did you notice that? It's death. In other words, God says, okay, you want to work 24-7? You want to, you want to shape the rhythm of your life? You want to do work with no worship? You want to do family with no worship? You want to do life without a day of worship, without actually setting aside a time for the community of God to worship? It's, you know what God says? Okay, I will give you rest. I'll give you eternal rest. Boom, I'll take your life. You don't want to obey me? You don't want to take rest? I'll give you eternal rest. At least under the old covenant, that's what we see here. God's going to take your life if you disobey him on this. But here's the, here's the learning, because ultimately this is fulfilled in Christ, who did die on our behalf, and he becomes our eternal rest. And so through faith in Christ, we enter into the Sabbath. But there's a principle here, and the principle is the priority of worship. That we get to enjoy the gifts of God, the family of God, the people of God, and all that God has gifted us with, but we are to return praise to Him. We are to dedicate time to worshiping of God. Notice it's not also an individual pursuit. It was spoken to the community. It was spoken to the whole body, to the whole congregation. And so the Sabbath commandment is a solemn commandment that we bring through into the new covenant. There is a change from day seven, the Saturday, to the first day as the resurrected Christ is raised on the first day and the early church begins to worship on a new day. As a sign of the fulfillment of that, Jesus Christ is our eternal rest. But the principle stands, the principle stands. The second thing we're going to see here, as the story moves on, it goes from Sabbath to contribution. The command for a voluntary contribution. We read on in verse 4. So after the Sabbath commandment, Moses then says this, verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation, the same words as earlier, all the congregation of the people of Israel. He says, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. Notice he's repeating himself. In other words, I remember you guys don't get these things. <laughs> They've heard commandments before, but have never obeyed properly. So he's reiterating it. Verse 5, here's the new commandment. He says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. So he says, okay, you're gonna, for the next while, you're going to be building the tabernacle. But here's how we're going to do it. Every one of you are going to contribute. Every single one of you are going to contribute. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever, whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for fragrant incense. 
and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Even clothing needed to be provided for. Verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. And so God is saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to do this together, guys. We're going to build the dwelling place for God. And the people are to show their real desire for the presence of God in their midst by all contributing. All contributing. Notice in verse 4, it says, Moses says that this is a command of the Lord. He's commanding giving. But then in verse 5 and verse 29, as we're going to see later on, it says that they are to give freely, generously, and willingly as they are moved in their hearts. So which is it, Moses? Is it a commandment or is it I get to decide? And those are not the options, actually. It's never been those two options. What the options are is it is a commandment, but what God is commanding is willing contribution. Willing contribution. He's not telling you exactly what you must bring, how much you must bring, when you bring. He's saying you have to bring something, and then you decide what to bring from your heart. It must be from your heart because that's true worship. So what do we find here? What we see here is that if they're going to build the structure, it needs everyone to be involved. It needs everyone to be contributing, and everyone's going to contribute according to their gift and according to their stewardship, according to their wealth. Some of them have got gold, and some have got silver, and some have got stones. And Remember, they, they were slaves in Egypt. They didn't possess much, but when they left, they were given much. And so God's saying, I want you to bring those things, the things that you have worked with, the things that, you have, that you've gained, I want you to bring that and we're going to contribute to the building of the structure. And so it's both voluntary and yet it's commanded. And actually when we read the whole of the Bible, we see that giving, contributing, saints providing, saints serving is a commandment. It's not an option. It's commanded giving but it's willing giving. And so the Bible teaches that it's both a responsibility and a privilege. Church, it's a responsibility and a privilege. We should never be going, oh, I've got to give. No, no, I get to give. I get to contribute. It's both a duty and a delight. And the New Testament pushes it even further and shows us that, that, that it's one of the primary external indexes of what's going on in our heart. And so here's what's happening. The Israelites had said to God, okay, God, please don't destroy us. In fact, may your presence stay with us. Let your presence stay with us. And so God says, okay, let's build the house. Let's build the tent. And here's how we're going to do it. Show me that you mean it. Show me that you do want to worship. Show me who your God is. Show me that your hearts have been ravished by grace. And then we read on in verse 20. So from verse 10 all the way to 20 is all about all the different things that they can bring. 
And then we read this in verse 20. It says, then all the congregation, notice the repetition, all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. So Moses has been telling them, all right, you can bring this, you can bring that. And he goes through a whole list of things. And he says, this is what we need to build this house for God. And then it says this, all the congregation of the people of Israel left the presence of Moses. We're going to come back to that. Let's read on. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for all the holy garments. And so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Down to verse 29, we read, All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it, look at this, as a free will offering to the Lord. So, so, so Moses gathers them, and he's preaching the word of God to the congregation. He's gathered the congregation. He says, guys, this is what God is saying. And then everybody leaves. Verse, verse 20, everyone leaves. I love that because here's what we see. There's going to be no on-the-spot arm twisting. You go home and think about it. In order for this to be a willing contribution... There's no manipulation. There's no in the moment, let's, let's get the music, let's dim the lights. There's no, Moses doesn't pull out the, okay, if you want a blessing, then empty your pockets right here, right now. None of that. Moses preaches the word, sends them home. Trust God. God, these are your people. I'm not going to pillage them with some kind of warped prosperity nonsense. So Moses is left alone. Moses is left alone. They all go back to their tents, and that way they search their hearts. And they look around them, and they go, what do I have? Well, what do I do? Talk to your children. Talk to your wife. What do we do? Okay, well, we, we're into... We're into agriculture, and so let's harvest, and let's bake, and let's bring the showbread for the house. Oh, what, what do you do? No, no, well, we, we're into fabrics, and so we're going to make the curtains for the tabernacle. Or what do you do? No, I'm, I'm into jewelry and design, and so I'm going to melt down my, my, my wife's precious earrings that I gave her for her anniversary. I know she's going to be, no, actually, she'll be, she'll be stoked, actually. I misunderstood her. Her heart's changed, and we're going to bring it the house of God. Now, at first, you might be thinking, it's, it seems like everyone just gets to do whatever they want to do, right? Like, hey, you can bring a free will offering. So if you feel like it or if you don't feel like it, that's not what it's saying. It's a commandment, but it must be willing. And we know this from verse 21. Look at verse 21 again. It says, they came, everyone whose heart stirred him. And so you might be thinking, oh, you know, today I just don't feel stirred. No, that's not what the text is saying. It's not suggesting that you wait 
until your heart is stirred before you. And listen, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about lives and, and partnering and, and, and the kingdom of God. If, you, if your mind's already gone to money, you've missed what, we, what we're seeing here. Everyone's heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution. You see, that's what ultimately changed. It's not just mine. It's the Lord's. And then the story moves from contribution to actual building. Our last point, the command for skillful construction. We read in verse 30 to 35, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God. God has called one particular individual to lead the building project. He's filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. Verse 34, and he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahasmach. If you ever want to get someone to do a reading in your community group, then this is the one to go for. Of the tribe of Dan, verse 35, he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer. So here's what's happening. When it actually comes down to the, the actual building. So now they've gathered the materials, and God is going to use two groups of people to do the actual building. The first group is everyone. I love it. It's not like, okay, only the skill. No, no, everyone gets to build. Everyone gets to participate. But at the same time, not everyone's captain of the team. So we're all part of the team, but we play different positions. So the second group is these individuals with strange names. And they are specifically gifted in a unique way to play point, to, to lead the team, to captain the team of Israel. For this particular building project, notice that the Spirit of God fills them. This idea of the Spirit of God not indwelling believers in the Old Testament is not true, church. He, the Spirit of God indwelt believers. There's no other way to be a believer other than the Spirit of God indwelling people. David cried out, Lord, take not your Spirit from me after he had sinned. And so we see these two groups. Everyone and specific leaders, specific leaders. You know what this tells us? This teaches us that, that in God's house, now we bring it to the new covenant, in God's church, God calls and equips everyone to participate, and then he calls and equips specific people for specific roles. And that's, that's wonderful. And the reason it's wonderful is because it's God's house. And God calls and equips everyone and then particular people, which is why in the church we have leaders, elders, deacons, and members. And we play to gift. We play to strength. And this isn't a sign of importance, not at all. This is not one is more important than the other. No, no. This is just recognizing gifted leadership. Notice that this, this, this lead guy, Bezalel, he doesn't 
look at everyone else and say, wow, chaps, if it wasn't for me, you guys would be in big trouble. You know, God's called me. No, no, he's not like that. Verse 34, look at what it says in verse 34. It says, and he has inspired him to teach. In other words, one of his key functions is not just to do everything, but to teach people how to contribute. Sounds like the New Testament, called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so not only is he the gifted architect, he's also the teacher. The teacher, he's the visionary leader, but his primary function is to teach the people how to build the house of God. I hope you're making the connections to the New Testament. Here's how I want to end this. I want you to see how this all plays out. So how does it end? Well, it doesn't end in chapter 35. It ends in chapter 36, or at least this, this kind of moment of how we're going to build. So I go, go across to 36, verse 3 to 7, and I want you to read this. This is breathtaking. It says, They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary, and the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, so all the foremen who are overseeing the construction go to Moses and they say, listen, Moses, they are in, in, in uh, verse 5, and they said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Verse 6, then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. Here's the word. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had was more than enough to do all the work. And so the response of the people was so overwhelming that Moses has to change the campaign from give to stop the giving. And, and, and most pastors reading this are now salivating, going, Lord, if just once in my life we can do a campaign, a stop the giving campaign. There is actually a story, I was reading it in preparing, that, that this, this one missionary in, in the Middle East actually wrote back to the, the congregation who had sent him and said, please halve the contribution, we have more than enough. And the pastor was like amazed because the people had just gave and gave and gave. And they were melting down their jewelry and they were weaving their best fabrics and they were bringing it to the Lord's house. And eventually the workers are like, we can't cope. We've got far too much. Tell them to stop. What's the point? The point is when the glory of God's kingdom gets into your life, it moves you. When the grace of God ravishes your heart, you should be a generous person. And again, I'm not talking just finance. The irony of this story coming now is that as a church, we are scattered financially. We're actually strong. So I'm not asking for more money. What am I asking for? Well, I'm asking that we just be a people who recognize partnership and the value of participating. 
and the importance of participating. Here's what I'm, I'm wanting to, us to see in this particular story. What I'm wanting us to see is this, that God is allowing rebellious sinners to participate in his building project. God doesn't need these guys. God doesn't need their help. God, God has more than enough resources. God could just go like that, and he could build a tent of his own. He's parted the sea. He sends plagues. He starts fires where there's no fire. He, he could do it on his own. Why does he involve these rebellious sinners? Because it's good for them. Church, it's good for you to be partnering with the body of Christ, with your time, with your talents, with your skills, not just in this building. I'm not just talking about in here, guys. I'm talking about being the church, being the community of God. It's not an option. It's not an option. Throughout this whole passage, it's everyone is involved, and it's a commandment. Worship participation, contribution, building. We get to play a part in the kingdom of God. It's exciting. God doesn't save this people. Look at this. God doesn't save this people and then say to them, okay, now sit back on the sidelines and watch me work. No. God's like, okay, we're going to do this together. Let's build the house of the Lord. He doesn't either say, okay, you just take a seat over there I know your life is a mess, but you just go take a seat. I'm going to go and find some worthy people. He doesn't do that, right? No, he's like, you're all a mess, but you're all involved. Let's do it. And you might go, oh, but I don't, I don't, I don't know enough. Or I don't have enough. Well, what did the Israelites have? They definitely weren't the right pedigree. They didn't have the right credentials. They definitely hadn't got a track record of good obedience. But God says, you're it. You are it. I, I work with mess. I work with rebellious sinners. I want you to be involved in my kingdom. And so I want to just end on the note of baptizing this whole thing in the new covenant. And, and that is that we get to church. We get to participate and contribute to the body of Christ. And it should be a joy and a privilege. It should be a delight and a duty. Peter reminds us of this in 1 Peter 4, and then we're done, verse 10. As each has received a gift. Notice Peter's convinced everyone's gifted. Everyone has something. As each has received a gift, use it. Don't sit on it. Don't hoard it. Don't keep it to yourself. Use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the word of God, the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us this morning, this reminder of the beauty of being involved in your kingdom work.
of being a, a body member, a member of the body of Christ, a contributor, a, a servant. What a wonderful privilege we have. And I pray that you would stir our hearts afresh, Lord. Stir our hearts to reach out to one another, to love on one another, to serve one another, to forgive and care for one another. Lord, I know it's, it's hard. I, I know it's, we're in a season where we want to just run and hide and we want to bunker down and, and not actually care for our neighbors. We just want to care for ourselves. But we don't have that option. Not as children of God. We've been commanded by the Lord to serve with our gifts. To serve not just anything, but to serve the kingdom. Thank you that we're part of a kingdom that will never end. A kingdom that will never be shaken. A kingdom that will eventually cover the entire earth. A kingdom that will come on earth as it is in heaven. And so use us for your glory. We thank you that your presence dwells with us and in us. And that this temple, this house that you are building is the church, the church of the living God. God with us, the dwelling place of God with us. And so fill us, Lord, with your presence and with joy, the joy of partnership in the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.